0: We are in uh, this series you can see behind me, Following Jesus. If you've got your fingers ready, we're looking at the same passages for the next several weeks, and we're just going to kind of be unfolding them on what it means to follow Jesus Christ and picking up His ministry, His message, um, and what He set out to do. And now He's handed it over to us. How do we follow that? How do we follow in the footsteps of Jesus? How do we take on that mantle? So we're in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. That'll be the first passage we'll read this morning, and that's going to be one of the passages we're really going to be focusing on this morning. And We're also going to be in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. Um, We'll be reading that one, and also in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Um, These are all commissions within each one of these uh, letters that we're given, that Jesus has given to His followers, and how to follow Him, how to take up that mantle. Um, The Bible tells us that, we are now ambassadors for Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ, which means we are now representatives of Jesus Christ. As a church, we are called the body of Christ according to the Scriptures. And so we are the physical representation of Jesus Christ to the world. Um, and so we, we represent him, we speak for him, we speak on behalf of him, that's what the word ambassador means there in 2 Corinthians, but also with this promise that God is making his appeal through us, that God is using us and empowering us in order to do that. And so that's one thing we're going to begin to unfold here in the next couple of weeks is how is God making his appeal through us? And part of it is what we do in, in recognizing who Jesus is. We began with this understanding, verse 18, that following Jesus begins by recognizing Jesus' authority. He is a wonderful name, He is a beautiful name, but He is the only name and the only one who was put in the tomb and came out three days later. And so that is why it is only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. There is no other way to the Father. And so He has the authority God has given to Him. And in His authority, He has called us to follow Him, to go out into this world, to take action. In verse 19, the Bible says to go, therefore. That word go means it is implied you're going to do this. That we as God's people in following Jesus are going to be a people of action, but also action with purpose that we are going to be making disciples. So in following Jesus, we are recognizing Jesus' authority over our life, which leads to action of addition, and we're going to add this morning, through our allegiance. Uh, we do allegiances, or we did allegiances on Wednesday nights. Uh, we would have the pledge to the Bible. We have a pledge to the Christian flag and the American flag, and they would be, that's pointing over here because that's where they would be. And when we give an allegiance, we're, we're stating our loyalty to that thing that person or whatever that represents so as we would go through a pledge to the bible and the christian flag and the american flag and whether we do that haphazardly what we're doing we say i pledge allegiance to we're saying i'm giving my allegiance to this thing and what this thing represents i am pledging my loyalty to that And this is what Jesus is calling us as we are going to be following Him in our life, is He is calling us to pledge our allegiance, to pledge our loyalty to Him. Let's read through Matthew 28, and then we'll see how this plays out. Beginning in verse 18, And Jesus came to them, and He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. And go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, "...baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Jumping to the Gospel of Luke at the very end, chapter 24, beginning in verse 44. And then he, Jesus, said to them, "...these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled." And then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should die and should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And finally in Acts chapter one In verse 8, again, our Lord Jesus Christ speaking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And let's pray together one more time as we go before the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit in this place, the spirit inside of me, the spirit that guides us into all truth and understanding, the spirit that brings us to repentance and convicts us and and continues that work of sanctification and transformation, Lord, in our life, that we would be set apart for your glory. And Father, I pray that Your kingdom would come and Your will would be done in all of our lives here this morning and for the lives that will eventually listen to this message online. Father, Your your Spirit would work in them and do what only You can do in our life, that we be the people You need us to be. Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy and Your kindness and Your love and Your faithfulness. Lord, thank You for revealing Your holiness and and revealing our, our sinfulness Father, we come into this place not because we belong here, but simply because you have allowed us to be here in your presence once again. Allowed us to enter into your throne room of grace. Allowed us to hear your words spoken. And Father, allow your Spirit just to continue to speak to our hearts that these words would not fall fall on idle ears, but Lord, that they would make us and change us by the power that is in them. Father, I trust that your word does not come back void. I trust that your word gets into the the depths of who we are, into the the very depths of all that we are and the things that we don't even know about ourselves. I trust that you are the God that knows every single individual here. You know what exactly needs to be spoken to their hearts. Father, I I trust that that you're going to bring us to this place to give us a, a time of response, that we would not be just hearers but doers of your word. And so, Father, I just lay this before you, I ask that You just have Your way with us, that Your your Spirit would just just wreck any false foundation we have built, Lord, and that You would just build us up on the truth of Your rock. And Lord, thank You for giving us this incredible gift. Thank You for allowing me to be a preacher and a pastor. Father, I am incapable of doing this without You, and so I, I surrender to You, Lord, as my God and my Savior and my Spirit, my interceder. Lord, that you would help me in this moment and give me the words to say that need to be said to your people, for they are yours. Thank you for this day, and thank you for what's going to happen here in the next couple of minutes and what you're going to do in our life. And we give this all to you and pray all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's make our way back to Matthew chapter 28. Again, I want us to see as we've been kind of putting this whole thing together, by the time we wrap up the series here in a couple of weeks, we'll have this beautiful, well, I think it's beautiful, statement of what it means to be following Jesus. You can uh, voice your opinion later if you want. But here, here's where we are so far Following Jesus recognizes the authority of Jesus, verse 18 to Matthew 28. It leads to action, therefore go, verse 19, of addition, making disciples. Through our allegiance, which we're talking about today with baptism. Following Jesus recognizes the authority of Jesus will lead you to the action of addition through our allegiance. We'll did a little more crisp, but here Jesus says, Go therefore, verse nineteen of twenty eight and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here in verse 19, we have one of the most clear scripture passages that point to the doctrine known as the Trinity. Um, This last Friday night, there were a couple of us individuals that got to sit down to a six-hour session of thing called Secret Church. It was really wonderful. I thank Charlie for getting that together. Um, I will admit, I did not make it past 1130. I'm not a night person. And so 1130, and they were taking a break for the final session. I looked at Charlie, and I tapped out. I was like, you know, mercy, mercy. And so I went home. Um, I, bit, I did beat Richard Campbell, so I'm proud of that one. Yeah. <laughs> but if you know Richard, he's not a night person at all. Uh, one thing is by David Platt. He, in, uh, it was basically about six hours. Uh, minus 45 minutes of 15-minute breaks, which we fast-forward through. But uh, he did about a 15-minute session or 15-minute wrap-up of the Trinity and kind of joked about it, trying to wrap it up. He also made the uh, statement that me and every youth pastor pastor before me who has tried to wrap up the Trinity using an idea of ice, water, and vapor or eggs um, as basically speaking blasphemy, according to the Word of God, and so I was really rebuked in that moment. But here Jesus is making this statement, and we're going to un- unwrap this in a second, about what Jesus is fully saying about being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, um, and then we're also going to deal with, before we leave here this morning, things that are going to be keeping us from from doing this. I want us to start with, I mean, we're kind of a, a smaller group here this morning, um, With beginning, we need to understand what these parts are. What is the Father? What is the Son? And what is the Spirit? Obviously, I've given us some clues. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. But what I I want us to do is kind of work together and work through this just for a few minutes because I don't want it to take up all of our time. But let's start with God. What do we know about God according to the Word of God? Creator, Sir Gabe, can you uh, you know a passage of scripture that would point to that? No. no? Genesis one one. All right, very good. Is that all we know about him? He made stuff. <laughs> what do we know about God? Come on. Okay, he's all-powerful. And how do we know that, Dave? Well, I mean, part of that is his creator aspect, that he created things from nothing. Um, He spoke things into being, and so in order to do that, he would have to have an all-powerful characteristic. He is an all-powerful God, which also points to the reason that He is God, and there are no other gods, um, because He is the God. What else we know about? Okay, He's all-loving. I love how our teenagers are the bulk of who are speaking this morning. But. Uh, Elliot, you said all-loving? You got any scripture to back that up? John 3.16. He's all-knowing. all-knowing. Provider. Provider, all right. Jehovah Jireh. Where are you going with that, Zane? 16. Okay. We're we're doing good stuff here. Come on, Bridget. Come on. No. Okay. He's a jealous God, which which implies what? Okay. So idolatry is a, a direct assault upon God. He's not jealous like your children or my children become jealous that one of them gets candy and the other one doesn't. That's not the jealousy of God throwing a little fit or rage and stomping his feet. He's jealous in his passion and his love for you. And he doesn't want to see you waste your love on other things that will not bring you fulfillment like he can, because he is the provider. What else do we know about him? Okay. He's, I'm just going to put JC. will understand that to be Jesus Christ. He's J.C.'s daddy, right? All right. Merciful. merciful. So how can he be jealous and merciful? Okay. How do we obtain she said he loves us so much he's jealous for us he loves us so much in his all loving nature that he sacrificed his own son to show us mercy but how do we obtain that mercy? that's the beauty of God in his I mean let's not forget his holiness right? That's that's kind of a big one there in Scripture. Holiness of God, He's set apart. He's different from all other things. And in His holiness and His all-powerful and His all-knowing, knowing everything about you and me, there's not a thing in our life that is hidden from Him. Even those things we think we have hidden from other people, God's like, yeah, I already know about that. And all of that and His righteousness and His jealousy for our holiness and our being set apart, He grants us mercy and grace, not by anything we can do to obtain that, but because of who He is. Okay? And I understand we're not going to fully unwrap uh, the theology of God this morning, okay? That's not the goal. Let's, Let's move on. Or will we won't? This is the best spot right here, isn't it? Yeah, that's starting to annoy me. All right, <laughs> uh, Jesus. What do we know about Jesus? Okay, he he uh, he was a sacrifice. Do you know where you can find? If you don't know the reference, you know at least a saying. Luke two. What was the first thing John said about John the Baptist said about Jesus when he came to the Jordan River? Behold what? The Lamb of God, right? The Lamb, which would speak of the sacrificial system. From the very beginning, John was declaring, there's the Lamb, there's the sacrifice. Okay, so Jesus was the sacrifice. What else do we know about Jesus? Okay, he rose from the dead. Why is that important, Gabe? What? Show of power. power. I tell you what, if you're still in the grave, could you be forgiven for your sins? No. No. Matter of fact, Paul says that we should be pitied if this didn't happen, if he didn't rise from the grave and he was not the sacrifice because we've made God to be a liar. And we've lied about God and we should still be doing these sacrifices because God is holy and he still is righteous and he still knows us and there's still this expectation if Jesus didn't do that. But since we know he did... Praise the Lord. Yes, sir, Sam. He, he went in the cloud? Oh, he, he, he flew away. <laughs> you see, he rose to the cloud, right? That would, all right. He, he rose to the clouds. Where, where did he go? Do you know, Sam, where did he go? Did he, he just like up there like with all the angels in their diapers and harps? That's not biblical, by the way. So where, where is, he's got a nice seat. Do you know where he's sitting right now? By God, yeah, he rose to the cloud to go to the right hand of the Father. Very good. Pat Paul, what were you saying? God manifested in Okay, God in the flesh. Okay so he's also eternal. Okay. I hear healer from somewhere. So since God is Jesus Christ's daddy, we'll just kind of infer that Jesus is God's son. Nobody said that, but I'm going to put that on there. You all are inferring that. All right, so now move on to the third part. It's taking longer than a couple minutes, isn't it, Zane? I told Zane, David Platt did it in 15, I'll do it in two, but it's a joke. All right, Sam, what can you tell me about the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Fire, yeah, all right, he's a pyromaniac, right? Um, No, no, fire, uh, so like fire on heads, all right. You all are just going to start throwing out words, see if I can spell them. See, this is not the day you wanted to sit in the back row, because... You got helper, yeah. Family feud will give you an X. I'm assuming you're going to go with everything we've said, and you're going to apply it here, Bobby? (laughs) And eternal. How about this? What about the Spirit? Okay, we have God the Creator who's holy, who's merciful, all-loving, Jesus, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the only way to the Father. What about the Spirit is significant concerning our salvation? You may know? What's that? Okay. Spirit does call and he does convict. Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of put that up here with the intercessor. Uh, he he enables. He's also the seal of salvation. Okay, I understand. We're not going to get into the Christology and all that when doing this, but we've got a, at least a, a game plan. All right, here's why this is important. When Jesus says, you are to be baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, it's one of the clearest passages in all Scripture pointing to the Trinity. If you were to look into a commentary or a concordance, maybe not a commentary, but a concordance, the word Trinity, like a strong concordance, it's basically, if you don't know what concordance is, basically you have a word, and you look it up, and a concordance will tell you what passage or passages of Scripture that word can be found in, Um, There's also websites that can help. If you looked up Trinity in any sort of concordance, you're not going to find that word in the Bible. It is a man-made word. Uh, But at the same time, the Bible points to the authenticity of what we call the Trinity. And speaking of the three aspects, characteristics, or three names of God, they do all work together the word you're to be baptized in the name the word name there in Matthew 28 in the Greek is is singular but it is implying the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So it's all these working together as one. If you go to Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, where we said Genesis, God is the creator, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You go to Genesis one verse two. you see that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters of the deep. And so from the very beginning, the very first book, we have God the Father, God the creator, and God the Spirit at work in creation. We turn to John chapter 1 verses 1 through 2 we see that in the beginning John does that on purpose he's pointing back to Genesis in the beginning was the word and the word was with God um, and the word was God John chapter 1 verse 14 says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us speaking of Jesus Christ Paul also understood that Jesus was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him and for him and The early believers understood in Acts chapter 5, if you want to go read that on your own later, understood that a a lie to the Holy Spirit is a lie to God. So they understood the equality of God and the Spirit, and the believers understood that when Jesus promised the helper or intercessor, he was promising this presence that he would be with them always, not physically, but spiritually. In the Bible, all three things are referred to as in the male pronoun, he. And so the Spirit is not just this thing that's out there floating around and somehow inside of us, but is a personal aspect of God in our life. Now we've kind of dealt with that. What does this have to do with this passage? What does this have to do in following Jesus? When Jesus says, you're to go, therefore, make disciples, you're to take action by addition in your allegiance, the word baptized is you are to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is a word that Jesus used that says, this is your identity. See, when I am baptized, what it says is I am identifying myself with every aspect of God, knowing that every aspect of God works cohesively, but also independently from one another in different aspects in my life and through my life. We don't have to try to wrap our head around that. I think David, Platt, if you missed Secret Church, you really missed out. I understand it, was, it went late, um, but... He he said, you know, we don't have to understand every aspect about God because when we do that, we begin to put God in our box. But God works independently in these three aspects or characteristics, but he also works cohesively together because he is the one true God. And so we have this, and Jesus said, now you are, when you're baptized, you are stating your allegiance to all that God is. That's following Jesus. That I am now identified with all that God is. I am now giving my allegiance. I am now loyal to all that God is. That's baptism. That's the way people understood in Jesus' day. That I'm making this huge statement, and this is why the early church in the book of Acts, this was a huge call. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to have the baptistry on this Sunday, you should come. They were stating that, you know what, I believe that, yes, I believe in God, but I also believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and I'm placing my faith and my trust in Him. See, baptism wasn't a new thing to the Jewish people. They had baptism pools all around Jerusalem and in their cities and towns. And at that point in time, it was very familiar with the way John did baptism. They used a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of, of turning or forsaking a particular way of action. And so they had those pools throughout Jerusalem where Jews would be baptized and repenting and kind of a washing ceremony and cleansing themselves. But here Jesus is saying, that's not enough. Matter of fact, in the book of Acts, when people were baptized, they had to be asked, were you baptized by what name? By whose authority? And what authority are you under? Who are you giving your allegiance to? Who are you loyal to? Now, baptism, it's important to note that baptism is not the, the seal of salvation. Okay, When you are baptized, that There are many people who have been baptized that aren't saved and many people who haven't been baptized that are saved. Okay, Because if if I could say that I am baptized so I'm saved, then that means I have earned or worked out my salvation, which the Bible is clearly opposed to. Baptism, then, is the sign or the symbol to which I am identifying myself and giving my allegiance to God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Baptism is the representation on a believer's life that I am surrendering to all that God is because of who He is as revealed in His Word. Therefore, it becomes our identifying marker in our life. What baptism does, as we saw last week, baptism states who we are but also who would become. I, I like to golf, I'm not very good at it at all. Um, I just like to do it because I like to torture myself doing it. But when you go golfing, as you walk around, there's someone put little cheat codes in the ground, like little markers, right, Nick? They have little numbers on them. They usually, what do those markers tell you, Nick? You're, you're my, okay, okay, that's one thing they say, how far away I am to the hole. So it, it tells me, in this marker in the ground, how far I still have to go, but also is supposed to tell me where I am currently right now in this moment. And so when I accept Jesus Christ, the most natural thing Scripture says as a believer in Jesus Christ is to be baptized. And Scripture implies that it's hard to follow Jesus if you're not going to begin by following His example in baptism. It's just hard to do it. Now, again, it's not your salvation. But it's just the most logical next step that I have believed that God is a holy God, yet a merciful God. And that mercy is fully revealed in Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, and now the only way to the Father. And so I'm going to be baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit, who is now the seal of my salvation. So, baptism is a logical step. Not the necessity of your salvation, but a logical step. And what it does is when I go into the water, I am identifying myself that I have been crucified with Christ. And Scripture says it is no longer I who live. Because if it was I who live, I would still be in my sin. I would still be in my sin before a holy God. I would still be under God's wrath, but it's no longer I who live because I have been crucified with Christ and now I have been risen with Christ. So now I am identifying myself with the act of Jesus Christ that he went into the grave and he came out of the water that I might be saved and through this I've been given the spirit of God be making me the temple of God and so now my allegiance is I want to keep this temple as pure as possible because it is the holiness of God in me so that's my loyalty so when Jesus says you need to be baptized in the, name of the father and the son and the holy spirit he's saying You as a believer, if you believe all these things about God, you need to state your loyalty. You need to state your allegiance. And here's the thing, because some of us, maybe in this room, we've yet to be baptized, and we're going to have another baptism service coming up, and so don't feel guilty. I've talked with some of y'all already about that. We will give our allegiance and loyalty some of the most silliest things in this world, and I'm I just as guilty. May the fourth be with you. Yeah, amen me and my kids, except for Jamie because she just she wasn't cool enough, uh, we got all dressed up in our Star Wars stuff for Friday and and went off to our day and we showed our loyalty and our allegiance to this silly sci-fi show that brings us joy how many of us own at least one athletic sporting jersey of a team we've never played for or a hoodie or a t-shirt or a baseball cap sticker and what what do those things say if i wear a chiefs hoodie what is it saying watch it watch it <laughs> He's got high hopes, right? (laughs) right. What was it saying? What am I showing my allegiance to? The chief, that team. And so we do this all the time where we show our allegiance and we pick on others who don't share our same allegiances to, and and we do that out of love. I understand that. But but we do this all the time where we give our allegiances and our loyalty, and we take offense when someone goes against what we are aligning our lives with. You know? That's why Cubs and Cardinals fans don't get along. We take offense that you don't agree with us. But here's the thing, in the perspective of what we align ourselves with in this life, whether it's some sci-fi movie or some sporting event or some race car driver or whatever it is, is very, very small and pale in comparison to the glory of God who people should see us flaunting out of our life and putting stickers on our car and hoodies and and all that. That's not calling for new shirts for harvest. too. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it should just be evident this is who I am loyal to. This is who has my full allegiance in life. It is the God who will judge the living and the dead. It is the God that we will all stand before. It is the Son of God who we will all bow a knee and we will profess as Lord, whether we've accepted him on this side of eternity or not. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It is the Spirit that is interceding for us on this moment with the Father, giving us the words to say and the ears to hear. It is all of this that I am giving my allegiance to, and this is what people in this world should see coming coming out of us as the people of God. This is what Jesus is calling to with baptism. Not just some symbolic act, but a sacred act of devotion. I am going to be devoted to you, Lord, because you are so devoted to me. And isn't this what we have been saying when we've unpacked the Trinity? Is God's devotion to us who are sinners? So Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. He's saying, it's no longer me who live. Paul un- unpacks this understanding of our sinfulness and the holiness of God and the wrath of God in Romans. In Romans chapter 12, he comes to this beautiful conclusion that, therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, believers, in the view of God's mercy, because God has done all this for us, that we should now offer our bodies, offer all that we are as a living sacrifice. We should now. Pledge our entire life in allegiance to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. For this is your spiritual act of worship. And what is going to keep us from doing this loyalty? There's five things real quick. We're going to, I'm going to speed up, so don't worry. First thing is patterns of this world. First thing is going to fight for your loyalty to God the Father, God the Son, is the patterns of this world. Paul says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. What does that mean? It means that as God's people, since my loyalty and allegiance to the Father who saved me, the Son who died for me, the Spirit who lives inside of me, since my allegiance is to that, I should look different. I should act different. I should talk different. I should do some things differently in my life. Now, we can go into a place of legalism and what that is, but the reality is that's not the point. The point is the love of Christ now controls me. It now compels me to live my life according to the incredible revelation of who God is. And so that is now my driving force. That is now what I'm giving allegiance to, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter that now we are aliens, or strangers, we are sojourners, we're exiles. And so now we should abstain from the passions of this world. And so one thing I pull from the, the loyalty is the patterns, but also the passions. These things in this world that stir up our sinful nature inside of us that is in opposition to everything that God is, everything Jesus had to die for, and everything the Spirit of God cannot be in the presence of. That's the passions of the flesh. You can go to Galatians chapter 5. You can read on that uh, later when Paul deals with the passions of the flesh and then the fruit of the spirit and how they contradict one another. They can't go with one another because they they are stating two separate allegiances in our life. We're either going to serve the God of this world or we're going to serve the God who created this world. That's what our life should be stating. So when Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money in the Gospel of Matthew, that word money in the Greek is mammon. And what he's saying is you cannot serve God and this world. You can't do it. You cannot be a legion because you're going to be devoted to one or the other. And so when we say, God, I am following you in baptism, it isn't so God can applaud from heaven, like, okay, now you can finally be saved. It isn't for the church It is to state to the world and to ourselves, okay, God, this is where you found me. But now that I am a new creation in you, this is where I need to go. And that is to holiness and perfection, to sanctification and transformation. So God, I'm stating I'm going to be loyal to you and I'm going to allow you to have your way with me. And we're going to be in this. Scripture reveals if you are in these battles, you understand you're always going to be in this battle between the sinful nature and the godly. It's a constant battle because Satan is after your allegiance, he's after your loyalty. And he knows that if he can get God's people to not act like godly people, he can create all sorts of stumbling blocks for people who don't know the one true God or the one true Savior, and don't have the one true spirit. And so Satan's always after us. Paul writes about, I do the things I don't want to do. And so we we have the patterns of this world. We have the passions of this world, or the love for this world. Another thing that keeps us from being loyal to God, and, and, and this goes for adults, not just students, but I wish I would have understood this when I was a teenager, is the company we keep. The Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And we we may we, we really want to balk at this. Because the Bible does say we should go out into the world and we should preach to the lost. And that's not what the scripture is not contradicting itself. Where scripture is saying that we as God's people, we should not be aligning ourselves to the ways of this world and the people of this world who are children of wrath. We should not be associating ourselves with the things they do. In Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the sin of, or stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You just have to read through the book of Proverbs, and you see that we are going to be in constant battle with the people we associate ourselves with because they're going to pull us one way or the other. And so the people in your life, I understand sometimes in your workplace, you can't, well, boss, I can't work with them because they're not saved. No, that's not what it's. There are people in your life that God puts in your life that you can be a light and salt in their life because you're showing your allegiance to God. But there are people in your life, you have to make a conscious, conscious decision that I am no longer going to associate with this person because they are not building me up, they are tearing me down. They are not leading me to righteousness, but they're pulling me into unrighteousness. And there have been people in my life that I've had to make this decision. When I came back to the Lord at the age of 19, I had to cut off everyone I spent my life with for the last six, seven years because I knew they were not leading me to the cross, they were pulling me from it. They were not helping me grow in my relationship with God, but were weakening me in the faith. And so I had to sever all ties until I knew I was strong enough to be around them and to actually be the light that God needed me to be. And it was a very hard decision. It was very difficult. And yes, it did hurt a lot of feelings. I have not been invited to several weddings of some of my best friends from high school. And it hurt my feelings. Here's the reality. I understood in that moment that if I went back into that situation with that group of people, I would fall back into the same patterns of this world and fall into the sinful flesh. And so for the sake of my righteousness, the sake of my holiness, the sake of being a temple of the Spirit, I had to sever ties. And I'm guessing there are people in your life, not just our students, but some of our adults, there are people in your life you need to sever ties with Because they are keeping you from acting like a child of God. I'm not telling you to stop being on. I just Don't stop being on the football team or the volleyball team. Don't stop being in the theater. I'm not saying that. God places you in situations to be a light. What I'm saying is the people that you choose to associate yourself with, you really have to ask this question. Are these people leading me to godliness? are pulling me away from the love of the Father. Who am I going to be loyal to in this moment? The other way is ungodly relationships. They they can pull us from the loyalty and the allegiance of the Father. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? When I was a teenager, 17 years old, I was naive enough to think that God was wrong on this statement. And so I started dating a girl that the father was full, he said he was atheist, but he's more agnostic. And that's the way he led his family. But man, she was hot. That's all I can think, she's hot. And so I pursued her knowing she didn't want anything to do with church, knowing that that's the way I grew up. And I thought, well, God, God, I will lead her to you. I'll be the reason she becomes saved. And so I enter into this relationship as a believer with an unbeliever, unequally yoked with this idea that, you know what, God, I I can bring her to you. Here's reality. Is it harder to pull someone up or for someone to pull you down? Yeah, it's gravity, right? It makes sense. If I'm sitting here and it's going to be harder for you to pull me up to the stage rather than for Dave to come up here and pull me down to the floor. It just makes sense. And the same thing applies to relationships. It is easier for someone who is not in a godly relationship with God personally to pull you down to the level rather than you pulling them up. So there are people in this room who need to get out of ungodly relationships for the sake of your allegiance to the God who loves you. Now with that, there's a word of caution. Because if you've already said, I do, too late. It's too late. You may be married to an unbeliever. It's too late. Because you've already made that commitment and that vow to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And there were witnesses that God brought to your wedding. You thought they were there for you. No, God brought them to testify for you and against you by the vows you made in that wedding. Now, Jesus does give conditions in which those ungodly relationships can be broken, but the reality is it, it ultimately comes down to they either they have to cheat on you or they have to die. So if you are in an ungodly relationship and your ungodly spouse dies in this next week, we're, we're going to have a lot of questions. <laughs> but you're in that. So what you do is you intercede. You pray as a child of God for that individual. The only thing that's going to change marriages around is God. That's it. And until your relationships are not aligned with God, they're always going to be out of whack. He's the creator of all things, including marriage. Marriage. He, He can do it. But we've got to give our allegiance and our marriage to God. This had to happen in Jamie and I's life. Being a pastor, I was pulled so many different ways, and I can give my allegiance to the pastorate and the ministry and the church. And reality is God said, you know what? I created you one. And your allegiance to me is seen in your allegiance to your wife. And so ministry, if this hurts your feelings, sorry, but I told the pastor search committee, God first, my marriage and family second, and then the ministry. Because the reality is I cannot minister to you or pastor to you if I'm not taking care of my own household. I can't. The final thing, and wrap this up. I, I promised I wouldn't go for six hours like David Platt. His um, unbiblical associations can pull us from our allegiance from God. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12-13, through 13, what I mean is this, is each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Paul says, is Christ divided? Yes. Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And, and <clears throat> Unbiblical associations can pull us from our allegiance to God, and this is how they can do it, and I've encountered this almost everywhere. Um, I haven't yet encountered it here, but if it is going on here, we're going to rebuke it right now. is that I've asked people in my past, "So are you saved? Are you a Christian?" And a lot of times I get this answer: Well, I go to First Baptist Church. Well I go to St. Paul's Catholic Assembly or whatever. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Southern Baptist. I'm an Assembly of God. And people begin identifying themselves with their denomination. So when I ask, them, are you saved? And they say, I, they identify themselves with self It may be something that's so small and, and innocent. I understand that. I get that. But Paul's dealing with this here in 1 Corinthians because these people are aligning themselves with Apollos or Peter or Paul, and Paul's saying, Did any of us die for you, or was it Jesus? And so your salvation is not based upon the church that you attend or associate yourself with. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So it's not us going out and preaching harvest too. It's not going us out and preaching in a Southern Baptist denomination, which, by the way, if you didn't know, we are a Southern Baptist church. I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. We don't preach that. We preach Jesus. We preach Jesus. Because there's only Jesus Christ to which people can come to understanding of how they can be saved and why they need to be saved. So if you're here this morning and you've made that statement, someone's asked, hey, so are you, are you a believer? And you say, well, I go to Harvest Hill. I just want to plead with you to stop. Say, yeah, I know Jesus. He's my Savior. That's all that matters. Now, if someone asks you, hey, where can I go and hear about Jesus? You can invite them to Harvest Hill. We will preach Jesus. We will preach the holiness of God and we'll, we'll preach the holiness of the Holy Spirit. But we can associate our, ourselves with ungodly things and it not just goes with denominations. Um, do you still have access to that thing? So if you want six hours of how people have devoted themselves to ungodly things, there's a six-hour seminar that you can, uh, we can set up for you to watch. But ungodly gospels, un, ungodly biblical theology we can associate our self with things that aren't even in this word and we make this word into something we want it to be which here's what we've done we've done exactly what the Israelites have done in the Old Testament we've created our own idol but when I say I am baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit I am saying I give my full allegiance to all that God is and this isn't all that God is All that Jesus is and all that he did and all that the Holy Spirit is and all that he is, this is what I'm giving my allegiance to. If you're here this morning and you've yet to do that, I want to encourage you to do it. If you believe everything the Bible proclaims about God and Jesus and the Spirit, you believe that and you believe it in your heart, I want to encourage you that the next normal step is to follow in baptism, to state your allegiance. If you're here this morning and you've yet to do that, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. There's not a person in this room or on this planet that is immune to sin. And sin is in direct opposition to God. It is a direct attack on God. It's not, there's no such thing as a small sin, little sin, big sin, all sin. All of it. Even our white lies husbands that we say sometimes. Oh, eh, it looks really nice. Yeah, Sin. Sin. Direct attack on the holiness of God. And there's nothing that you and I can do to correct this sin problem. We can go tr- to church our entire life. We can devote ourselves to a, a denomination our entire life. We can actually even be born into a church. Doesn't correct the sin problem. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus steps in to correct our sin problem. So that's why the Bible said it is by grace and it's by faith that we might be justified before a holy God, not incurring the wrath of God upon ourselves because Jesus now stands in between on the cross saying, Father, blame me for their sin. Blame me for them attacking your holiness. Give me the blame. And the Bible says, when I believe in Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, the the one who stepped in between, who filled the gap between my sin and God's holiness, and that His blood covers me in that faith, I'm clothed now in the righteousness of Christ. And the Bible says, I am given the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of me. And here's something we all need to understand. The Bible is very clear that if I do not have the Holy Spirit, if I do not have something inside of me that is drawing me to God, something inside of me that gives me a desire to be in the presence of God and to hear from God, if I do not have that in me, the Holy Spirit is not in me, and I am not saved because I'm not sealed. See, when the Spirit comes inside of me, it gives me a new creation and makes me have new passions. doesn't mean I always did it right all the time or always follow, or always do everything correctly but it means my pursuit is my loyalty to who God is. That's a good point to cut it off. If you're here this morning and you know you've yet accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come down. It is by the grace, love, and gift of God that God has invited you here this moment. If you're here and you need to be baptized because you've yet to do it, I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Hey, Pastor Mike, I want to be baptized. If you're here and you know you, your life has been given loyalty to things other than the God who has saved you, and that needs to change, people need to see something different coming out of your life, I'm just going to ask you to come and kneel before the Father. But now's the time to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the roadmap on how to follow you. Lord, that we have given you our loyalty, our allegiance. We pledge ourselves to you in this moment that we will do what you've laid upon our hearts. And praise pray us all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.